Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. I am going to be interviewing one of my absolute favorite people, someone that does more for most behind the scenes than many, and someone who actually allowed the social media show when we were our own entity before we joined forces with Breakfast with Champions um, and really helped run our lives, if you will. But today, I actually want to get to know the side of my friend that I don't know the side that maybe you guys don't know. And why do we do this? Why do we interview champions on my segments at Mondays at 10? Because the point is for you get to, there's lots of champion interviews, <laughs> all these segments. But the, but the reason I like to do it is I like to give you the opportunity to get to know someone, maybe a side of them you didn't know. But most importantly, I like to give the opportunity for people to pour into others. If you see greatness, if you see powerful things, if you see a cute outfit, if you like a haircut, if you like, say it, speak it, say it out loud, share with people what you see that you like in them, and let's celebrate the freedom to love each other freely and do so with our words. And so the champion that we're going to get to love on today is my good friend, my sister from another mister, my clubhouse wife, Miss Kelsey Stark. Queen of the North, but really queen of everything. What's up, Kelsey? How you doing today? For Good morning. Yay. Okay, so I'm so excited. So guys, this is, I'm going to let you know, Kelsey is one of the most fun, most amazing, most giving, most like incredibly talented humans you'll ever meet. But we're going to get to know like the real Kels, like the Kels that maybe some of us have never, ever, ever even heard. Are you ready for that, Kelsey? Are you excited about it? I'm so excited about it. Okay, so talk to me. I want to know, what was Kelsey Stark like as a little girl? I know you were a cheerleader. I know you did all those kinds of things. But I want to know, as a little girl, as someone who was kind of, you know, 
roaming through life with your family. What was the family like? What was the dynamic with you and your family, siblings, if you have siblings, et cetera? Like, tell, I mean, we know that you do, but, you know, fill us all in and let us know. Yeah, definitely. So I have a extremely close-knit family. I am the youngest of three. Uh, I have an oldest brother, a middle sister, and then I'm the baby. I was born in Hawaii. Um, I'm the, uh, I was born, yeah, born in Hawaii. I was an army brat. And um, yeah, then we moved back to Long Island, which is where I'm from, where I currently live. And my parents got divorced at a young age. So I had a single mama. So shout out to all my single mamas out there. Shout out to all my mamas. But um, yeah, being raised by a single mother meant that all the other, all the other people in my family really stepped up, and it was absolutely amazing. There is a ton of us uh, that live within three mile radius of each other. So I have aunts, uncles, cousins, and we just spent basically every weekend together. We were doing things like going on boats, going clamming, fishing. The whole nine, it's just living on Long Island is so fantastic. My grandparents meant absolutely everything to me. And it really it embodied this sense of family and the sense of community in me. And my family was also very active in the community. My grandfather was supervisor of my town when we were young. So I always got this sense of reaching out to others, helping others, and just getting a sense of joy from that. And not even with any type of expectation in return, just the fact that, yeah, I, I'm here, I'm helping others, and and that's just what you do, pretty much. So Kelsey was a little bit of a rascal as a, as a kid growing up, very, very active. I mean, like, going out, playing kick the can until the, until the sun went down, and then my grandfather had this famous whistle that everyone on the block new and once he whistled it meant for all the kids to go home it was time for dinner um and yeah that that's really what it was like growing up i i had a, an amazing childhood and i'm very very thankful and blessed for for what it was because it it was full of love and just and family and community so yeah that was that was I, little Kelsey. i i love that because it's exactly as i picture your childhood <laughs> <laughs> like literally exactly <laughs> as I picture it. So my question is this: So you said you were a military brat. Um, wait, how long was that? Were you kind of were you having to move a lot? It sounds like you had a solid foundation on Long Island. How long were you in Hawaii? What brought you to New York City, etc.? Yeah. So um, my dad got out of the army shortly after I was born. So we were in Hawaii. Um. You know, they moved, my brother and my sister and my mom would have moved around uh, quite a bit. So I was conceived in Hawaii and born in Hawaii. Um, but uh, I was about three and a half when we moved to North Carolina. We were there for a year and then uh, we moved to Long Island and he was, he was out of the military at that point. Okay. So why Long Island? That's obviously where your grandfather was. Who's originally from Long Island? Both your parents or what side kind of brought you there? Yeah, actually, both of my parents, but my mom is the one who is further out east. My dad is uh, anybody who knows Long Island. He's from Nassau County, Massapequa, so that's up west. Um, but my mom was the one who whose family was as far out east as I am, and that's that's kind of who brought us out this way. 
Nice. And so then uh, at some point in your life, you stated that your mom was a single mom, correct? Yep. And, and so what happened there? How did, how did that, how did you start, go from two family home to a single family home? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, and I will be completely blunt and transparent. My dad, after he got out of the military, uh, struggled with uh, alcohol abuse and drugs. And, you know, I, I guess maybe the structure that he didn't have anymore, um, it really took a toll on our family. And, you know, my mom decided that it was best for her and for all of us that she get away from that toxicity and, you know, very thankful for her that she did that and that she was strong enough to, to step away from an environment that she didn't want her children to, to grow up in. Okay. So what's your relationship now with your dad? Existent. I haven't spoken to him um, in, oh gosh, I would say uh, over 20 years, actually. I'm 32 now, so I haven't talked to him in over 20 years. My parents got divorced when I was about five. And he, I remember one day he called. My brother had a little bit of a troubled childhood growing up. And he called to say he got remarried and that he had, that I had a step sibling. And I actually have three step siblings that I have never met before. Interesting. See, I love this stuff because we never get the opportunity to, to sometimes listen. I have been blessed to be in in the presence of Miss Kelsey Stark to have literally been tackled uh, by her uh, to <laughs> nearly the ground to get to see her shine in her genius for months and months and months. A friendship that started in January of 2021, but for some reason feels like it's been uh, an entire lifelong friendship. <laughs> And I didn't even know this. And so this, I love this so much. So talk to me, how have, how has having sort of that deficit in your life of not having your father present for the last 20 years affected you? Or do you feel that your grandfather kind of stepped in and played that role so well? I know you and him were truly, truly, truly a two peas in a pod. Yeah, my grandfather absolutely stepped up and filled in that role. Um, you know, I it is of course unfortunate that my father couldn't be there and struggled the way that he did. Um, and you know, who knows, maybe one day we will reconnect. Um, but my grandfather absolutely stepped up and he was not only just the patriarch of our family, but, you know, across the board, you know, my confidant, my the person who defended me in public, but then took me behind closed doors and yelled at me for whatever it is that I did, right? He was my absolute protector in everything. And um, him and I, everyone says that I'm like, I might as well have been his daughter. We are the same human um, in the sense of our our love for community, our love for other people, but then also our resilience and, you know, sometimes thick-headedness. Um, but he's, he's the person that I learned everything from. He was my human, my world. Unfortunately, he did pass away. Um, but when he got sick, he passed away due to uh, cancer. But when he got sick, I was actually at an in-between point in my life. Um, I was living in Manhattan, uh, I had just attempted my first business. I think I was 20, 23 at the time. Um, graduate college, just attempted my first business, and it didn't work out. Um, and I was I was in this in-between. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I 
heard the news and it was without a doubt that I was moving home to help care for him because I knew that he was too thick headed to allow a nurse in or for anyone to see him in that type of vulnerable state. He always had this amazing presence about him where you just, you knew when he was in the room before he even said anything or before you even saw him. So uh, I moved home and I took care of him and it, it was the hardest, the absolute hardest eight months of my entire life. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up for the world. And if I had to go back, I would do it all over again because the conversations we were able to have, just the one-on-one -on -one time, the stories I got to hear, it was, it, I can't even describe the feeling that it gave me. And although it, it absolutely wrecked me when he finally passed, once again, like I said, the, the possibility to spend those final eight months with him meant the absolute world to me. I love this so much, and there's so much intersectionality between you and I that you don't even know. So my grandparents and I, my mom's parents, same as yours, super close my entire life. I'm blessed to have both of my parents in my life. They're still married 40 years plus uh, and, you know, still in love is day one. I'm very lucky there. But I also am blessed that I had incredible parent grandparents, and I moved in with my grandmother and grandfather when my grandfather got sick with cancer and helped my grandmother and when my grandfather ultimately passed about a year later, I stayed living with my grandmother for the next two years and covered the mortgage and took care of everything so that she didn't have to stress because grandparents are like the greatest gift in the whole entire world. They keep your secrets. They're your best friends, but they don't have to necessarily do all the heavy lifting that parents have to do. So let's fast forward now. You helped your grandfather you got those last eight months you had a business that you wanted to start but it didn't get going so you we know now you have this entrepreneurial spirit you have a spirit of community that's instilled in you by your grandfather the spirit of helping people and then you end up getting a job that affords you the luxury to only work half the year and travel the other half of the year so sort of um, putting on hold that entrepreneurial spirit. Why, why do you think it is that you were guided into food and beverage to do what you did? And what was life like then? Yeah, so I had always been in the hospitality growing up. So, you know, out here, summers are huge, right? Summers in the Hamptons, we've all heard of it. P. Diddy's White Party. Um, so for me, working in the food and beverage industry just made sense because, you know, school was out during the summer. So I started uh, in restaurants when I was 16, um, you know, busting tables, actually 14, but don't don't tell the, the labor authorities. Um, but, you know, I was busting tables and doing all this. So it was just kind of a natural progression. And there is so much money to be made, um, especially back in the day you know i remember bartending and if i left after tip out and everything if i was if i left with 800 dollars, i was like why didn't i even come to work today like i was angry which is insane right because that's a lot of freaking money um so it, it just it kind of made sense for me to go back into the food and beverage industry and i went back to this restaurant that i'd worked in my whole childhood and you know i was bartending and i was doing everything and because i'd been there for so long it was um you know it, when the when the gm at the time left it was kind of 
a, a no brainer for the owner to approach me with the, the position. And at first I was unsure because I knew what it meant as far as time commitment and all this stuff. But also at the same time, I knew that I wanted to get out of bartending and, you know, maybe get into something that was more career path. And so I took the job as a GM at a, a very high end restaurant out here in the Hamptons and my life ceased to exist during the summer. I was working like a hundred hour work weeks. It was just nonstop. It was insane. Um, and I think what really kind of kicked me into going forward is the fact that I started seeing how much money I was making someone else. So, you know, I was the one who was in charge of doing the, the, the cash outs at the end of the night, you know, I was the one who's in charge of, um, you know, looking at profit lines and margins when it came to, to the beverages and, you know, pricing things out on that aspect. You know, I basically did everything except for the food, right? The food was the, the chef's job, but everything else, as far as wages were concerned and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm not upset that I, I went into that. I think it was a great learning lesson. It set me up for success for, you know, moving forward. Um, but it was a lot, it was a lot, but also, like you said, I was working an insane amount of hours for a few months, but then the other half of the year, I got to travel the world and I got to not have to work and be able to take that time off and, you know, spend all the money that I made that I didn't have time to spend during the summer, spend it during the winter. So yeah, it was a, it was an interesting, interesting, like jam packed summer, but then off in the winter. Okay, so talk to me about this. So you're in, this is a pretty cush job, right? I mean, if your bartenders are bringing in almost $1,000 and you're the GM, you're making good money, right? You're getting the ability to travel the world. You're getting to go, and you've been all over. Much Again, we have a lot of intersectionality. You're, you're probably close to as many countries I've been to. We've been blessed to see the world. And yet, even though we have this guaranteed paycheck, there was still a stirring within you. Even though you had this lifestyle where you were, you know, hanging out with the who's who's in the Hamptons and then traveling the world in the in the winters, there was still a burning desire to create something that was yours. Why do you think you had this desire that started, you know, in your early 20s and ultimately came to fruition many years later to really be an entrepreneur and work for yourself? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, you know, I think it was kind of always there. I just had to, I had to go along a path that gave me the tools that I needed in order to get there. So there was always this burning desire. And I think that, I think what, what it really was is the fact that I didn't want my future in the hands of someone else. So, you know, meaning I was an employee at will. So if the owner decided one day that he no longer wanted me to work for him or he no longer wanted to pay me, he didn't have to, um, you know, not that that would happen, but you know, I, I just, I liked being able to write my own path. And even though it was great to have that six months off and I, I got to, you know, go travel and everything like that, I wanted to find a way that I could travel, but on my own terms and that I didn't have to be at someone's beck and call, which is essentially what it was. It was like a on call 24 seven, even if I wasn't at the restaurant, even if I had a day off, I still my mind was on the restaurant, you know, 
And for whatever reason, I thought that that would change as an entrepreneur, but it only got worse. But the but the thing is, it's on my time. So, you know, the amount of money that I make is due to the amount of effort I'm willing to put in. If I don't want to put in that much effort, I don't have to. Nobody can fire me, right? It's my business. But also at the same time, I'm not making any money. <laughs> so I think for me, it was, you know, seeing how much time and effort I was putting in to create somebody else's dream, to drive somebody else's dream forward, to push somebody else's um you know, retirement plan. So, you know, even now, I mean, I, I heard that the restaurant sold. So if I, if I was still pushed forward and I figured this as my career path, you know, now that the restaurant sells and they're going to knock it down, I no longer have that career path. So I think for me, it was really more about a sense of security in the fact that I know me, I know my work ethic, I know my hustle, and I wanted to be the one to dictate my own future. And I love that. And what a blessing, right? Because who would have thought, you know, however many years ago that you made this transition, that the New York um, restaurant industry would tank as it has due to, unfortunately, the global pandemic. You know what I'm saying? And like you said, we saw not just restaurants, but many businesses, many brick and mortars lose the ability to make money and have no choice in the matter, have no decision making. And yet you, you as your as a 1099, as a S Corp, as an LLC, whatever, you know, you, the proverbial you, the entrepreneurs um, like yourself saw oftentimes actually, especially in the realm that you're in, and we're going to get into that, actually an increase. As an entrepreneur myself, I saw a 33% increase in 2020 in my business. Um, and I wasn't actually limited because of all the restrictions due to, again, unfortunately, the global pandemic. So talk to me, what made you decide, and, and we're going to get into exactly what type of business that you're in. We, we know very well what that is. Um, but what made you decide to get into social media marketing and, and what kind of skill sets did you have coming into it that made you so good? Because you're stellar at what you do. And obviously coming from food and beverage, you do a lot of this for high-end restaurants. You know their language. You understand what people are looking for. But why social media? Yeah, that is uh, that's a really good question, a really good point. So um, I actually, when I first started this company, um, I, I'm someone that always has to have something going on. So when I was bartending before I became manager, um, I had I was like bartending. I think I had two other jobs. You know, I had 36,000 spinning plates. And um, when it was towards the end of the summer and things were dying down, I actually got approached by my aunt, who's my business partner and she said to me hey listen you went to school for marketing so I went to SUNY Albany uh, I have a business administration degree with a dual concentration in marketing and finance with a communications minor so I always knew I wanted to do something along the lines of uh, of marketing I love talking to people you know it's just it's my thing I'm a people person so I always knew I wanted to do marketing um, and then when I was in the city uh, my first job was actually working for a magazine for the Meredith Corporation. Everybody knows they have like Parent Magazine, Home and Garden, all those stuff. Um, so the magazine that I was working for actually unfortunately folded, um, which actually doesn't make, it makes sense because they tried to start it like 10 years ago when everything was switching to digital. Um, so in the city, you throw a rock and you hit some type of digital marketing, something or other, whether it's an influencer, an agency, a market, you know, whatever it is. 
so when I moved out here, my aunt came to me and she's like, I have this crazy idea. I was like, all right, what's up? So she comes to the office I was working in and she was like, listen, I was just at lunch and it was fantastic. And I took all these pictures and I was like, you came all the way down here to tell me about your lunch. Like once again, I said we had a, a tight knit family, but you know, you could have just told me about your lunch on the phone. Um, so she was like, no, no, no. I asked them what their Instagram handle and hashtag was, and they had no idea what I was talking about. And to me, that just blew my mind. Cause like I said, in Manhattan, it's the world of social media. So it turned out that we did a little Google researching and there was not one agency out here that strictly focused on social media marketing. And we were like, well, you know, what's the best time to start a business is to find a need and fulfill it. So there was a need out here for social media marketing. People were doing it that, you know, the radio stations were doing it or online magazine publications were doing it, but nobody was specializing specifically in social media marketing. So I was like, what's another spinning plate? Let's throw that up there. So we decided to start a, a social media marketing company. And we were originally named Town Crier Social Media, which we thought was super witty because Town Crier was, you know, hear ye, hear ye, you know, in the town square. So we were like, yeah, this makes so much sense. Um, but then after a while, we started getting some awards and some accreditations. And everyone was like, oh, Town Crier, you guys are with the Penny Saver, right? Which is essentially this like loose leaf pamphlet that tells you when the yard sales are and clip on coupons and whatnot. So we were like, oh, no, 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 no. So finally, one award show on the way home. I said, that's it. We, we got to change the name. Uh, and so then that's when Stark Media Group was born. And we decided to go with Media Group because it allowed us to expand over time. Because even though we started as focusing strictly on social media marketing, our clients were like, great, I also need a website. I need to do ad campaigns. I need this, that, and the other thing. So we expanded our business over time due to the needs of our clientele. Uh, and Media Group just allows us to do that and allows us to continue doing that in the future because I don't know if anyone's ever gone through a rebrand, but it is the biggest pain in the butt in the world. But yes, that's that's that. And so now, how, how has life changed since going from someone who was creating someone else's, making someone else's dream into a reality into now working hand in hand with family, with some dope individuals that are willing to do TikTok with you uh, and, and really pushing the needle forward for you and your dreams. Yeah, life is definitely different. Um, I mean, it was a scary jump. I'm not going to lie. It, you know, I was kind of, I was doing both jobs for a while. I was working for my company and I was also working at the restaurant when I was a GM, you know, I started this company seven years ago and uh, it was four, four years into the company where I finally decided to make that jump and go all in on my business. Um, and it was scary. I, I took a $50,000 pay cut um, and definitely did not have the freedom that I once had um, in order to, to pursue this dream. But honestly, the, the payoff was is exponential um you know like you said i i was one of those very very lucky ones that during the pandemic my business actually took off and we we met our projections for four years down the line within a year um so that's all 